Well, how about we open our Bibles to John chapter 10? If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 896. 896, and we're in John chapter 10, and verses uh, 11 through 21 are what we're going to look at this morning. Today we continue in our sermon series titled, The Church, Metaphors of the Beloved. And the metaphor that we're going to focus upon today is the church being the flock of Christ. One commentator I read earlier this week wrote these words. He said, when believers first sought to write the symbols of their faith upon the walls of the catacombs, they drew Christ as shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. There is one flock There is one shepherd. May this truth be drawn upon the walls of our hearts this morning. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock. One shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you want to know God, if you want to know his will, if you want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word, um, carefully treasured and preserved over all these centuries. It is right and true. It is important for us to sit under this teaching, especially since the words of our saviors has said that he is the good shepherd and that there's one shepherd and one flock. May we understand what it is to be sheep in his fold. May we delight in this. Uh, may, may we follow the shepherd as he leads us. We pray. Amen. A few years ago, I I told my mother that I was preaching on Psalm 23 and, you know, how the Lord is the shepherd and we are his sheep. And and she enthusiastically commented, she says, well, yes, sheep are cute and cuddly. And I said, Mom, when was the last time you hung out with sheep? (laughs) For most of us today, the closest we get to a flock of sheep is a rack of lamb at Pierre's. And truth be told, were it not true, you and I should be offended by this biblical metaphor of the people of God being a flock of sheep. 
we're more apt to see ourselves as eagles or, or lions, not sheep. So, what are sheep really like? Over the years, I've done some research uh, into sheep and shepherds, and I've read accounts of modern-day shepherds and flocks and how shepherds work. Here's a quick summary. You ready? Of all the domesticated animals, there are none as needy as sheep. Let a cow roam free, and it will find open grass and water. Let a horse run free, and it will stay away from Predators let a pig out of his pen and he's going to find some acorns. But sheep, sheep require more attention than any other livestock. They are incapable of taking care of themselves. See, sadly, sheep are stupid. I read one account of a shepherd's frustration with his flock of sheep. He was leading them to fresh water, but the sheep decided to stop just short of the fresh water and drink from urine in feces infested stagnant water full of parasites. It took the repeated goadings of the shepherd just to get the sheep to move on this short distance to the fresh water. But not only are sheep needy, they are clueless to their neediness. Not a good situation to be in. It is the shepherd who must sense when it's time to, to move on to new pastures. It's the shepherd who must discern where the still waters are. See, sheep are so timid, they will not drink from a rushing stream. It is the shepherd who must have his eyes peeled for predators because the sheep do not know the warning signs. It is the shepherd who notices the one of the fold that is missing. And he goes and he finds the sheep alone on an outcrop of rocks. And he safely returns the sheep to the fold. In our passage today, Jesus declares the church is the flock of Christ and he is our good shepherd. Now, the problem is, especially in America, Christians like the idea of Jesus being their shepherd. But they're really not all that interested in being gathered in to the flock. Why? Because we're like sheep. (laughs) Sheep do not like other sheep. Sheep are anxious and skittish. Sheep are easily upset when another sheep is near them. So too us human sheep. You spend enough time rubbing shoulders in a church, someone is going to upset you. And so, as you leave the church, you think you're an eagle who's flying off in victory, but really you're just a sheep who is straying from the shepherd. So the tendency can be to conclude being in the flock isn't necessary. I'll just let Jesus shepherd me on my own. Have you ever felt that way? Now remember what Jesus said about a good shepherd and what he does when just one sheep strays. What does he do? He leaves the 99 and he goes to get the one. And what does he do? He returns it to the flock. Jesus clearly states in verse 16, there will be one flock. One shepherd. My friends, Jesus saves you into his flock, the church, so that he can shepherd us together. And listen, Jesus cannot shepherd you apart from the flock. When Jesus sees you apart from the flock, the first thing he desires is what? (laughs) To gather you back in. Some of you here know this all too well, but many of you 
who are here today, before you came to Grace Church, you would maybe consider yourself a stray sheep, didn't really have a place to gather into for months or years. Perhaps you lived cut off from the local body of Christ. But now you're here, and it's kind of made a difference, right? Not that being together, gathered in, is easy or pain-free. As one of my pastoral mentors once told me, he said, Mark, sheep bite. And so here's what Jesus wishes to get into our heads this morning. You listening? The church is the flock of Christ. So we must be gathered in by him and led by him. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And we're going to do so under three headings. First, the care, then the commitment, and lastly, the calling. The care, the commitment, the calling. First, the care. Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for his flock. How can we know that Jesus cares for us? Well, because he's not a hired hand. Rather, he owns us. We are his. In Jesus' day, some owners of sheep, especially if they had a lot of them, would hire a shepherd, a hired hand, to take the sheep away for days, weeks at a time, to graze in the hills. Out in the wild, the flocks were prone to attack from wolves. And when a shepherd didn't own the flock, but rather was a hireling, He would care more for his life than for the sheep, right? Kind of makes sense. Verse 13, we read, He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Better one sheep get eaten instead of me. That's what he's thinking. Now Jesus turns to those listening to him and he assures them. He says, I am not a hireling who cares nothing for the sheep. I won't run when the flock gets attacked. I'm devoted to my flock. Jesus says the hireling does not own the sheep, which means what? It means the good shepherd does own his sheep. How is it that Jesus owns us? Well, right after our passage, just a little bit further down in John chapter 10, Jesus once again finds himself in confrontation with the religious leaders. They just won't listen to him. So Jesus says the reason why you won't listen is because you're not part of my flock. And then he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What a beautiful picture. Then he says, My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Basically saying, I'm divine. And guess what they wanted to do right after that? You know what they wanted to do, right? They wanted to kill him. They tried to round him up and kill Jesus to that point. Now, the picture Jesus illuminates is that God the Father gave to Jesus the Son certain people for him to shepherd. If you belong to Christ, it's because you have been given by the Father to the Son. Jesus owns the flock. And Jesus wants his followers to know how much he cares for them. He's not a hired hand who does not own the sheep. He owns us. See, to the hireling, the the sheep are external. And there are uh, countless thousands of different troubles that will easily separate the hired hand from his sheep. But to Jesus, the flock, which belongs to him, it's actually a part of him. How could he not guard and protect and, yes, even die for that which is his own? The first reason we know Jesus cares for us is because he isn't a hired hand. He owns the flock. 
He's committed. Jesus lays down his life for the flock is the second reason we know that he cares for us. Did you notice five times in this passage Jesus says that, that he lays down his life for the flock? So laying down of Jesus' life is very central to being the good shepherd. Now, notice that Jesus didn't say, I am the good shepherd who is willing to lay down my life, if need be. I hope it isn't necessary, but if it is, I want you to know that I'm okay with it. (laughs) No, Jesus says, I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. And listen, this changes everything. It is only by Jesus laying down his life for the flock that there is even a flock, right? The amazing thing about Jesus is that not only is he is our, he's our shepherd, but he's also our sheep. He's our lamb. Once when John the Baptist saw Jesus approaching, what did he say? He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, the spotless lamb of God who lived and died and rose from the grave so that all who believe in him, who hear his voice, can come into his flock. So Jesus knew that laying down his life wasn't a possibility. No, he knew it was a necessity. Unless the good shepherd lay down his life, there can be no flock. Now, do you see how Jesus cares for us? We belong to him. He belongs to us. He cares for his flock so much so that he laid down his life for us. That's the care. Now for the commitment. And the big idea here is this. Jesus is committed to his flock despite the fact he knows everything about us. Is there anyone who knows everything about you? I mean everything. Every false statement you've uttered, every half-truth, every lustful look or thought, every self-exonerating judgmental accusation of another every internal rolling of the eyes at someone you're jealous of, every belittling comparison meant to make you feel superior. No one knows all that you've done. We don't want people to really know us. If they did, they would most likely flee. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, sent a telegram to the 12 most most respectable people in London as a joke one night. The telegram simply read, flee, all is revealed. Within 24 hours, six of them had left the country. Here is a fact we need to ponder. Jesus knows you, every bit of you, even the things you've successfully hidden from others. How is it that Jesus knows everything, every thought, every deed, every dream? Because he's divine. There's nothing you can hide, nothing. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well? What does she say after she spent time with Jesus and believed in him? Come see the man who knows everything about me. Could this be the Christ? Now, the fact that Jesus knows you to your very core is both terrifying and terrific. Terrifying, that's not an easy point to prove. Try as you like to hide in your silence and solitude. Jesus does know everything. You cannot hide. But it's also terrific. How so? It's terrific because you know the good shepherd. What do I mean? Well, did you catch that that Jesus said he didn't just know us, but that we know him? 
See, once we know the character and the love and the sacrifice of Christ, we, we, change, we know that he's committed to us no matter what. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. A Christian is someone who knows that Christ, the good shepherd, is thoroughly committed to them, or at least we should know. We know that while we were still sinners, Christ loved us so much that he laid down his life for his sheep, that Christ died for us. And we know that he didn't die for us because we are good. We know that he died for us to make us good. And we know that if we sin, which we continue to do, we have a faithful high priest, Jesus Christ, who has been tempted in every way like us, yet without sin. And he's the one that we daily draw near to, to receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Are these not things you've come to know, Christian, about your good shepherd? They are. In other words, we know the love of God in Jesus Christ. And so let me ask you, do you understand that how knowing Jesus changes everything for us? Walk with me for a moment and ponder this truth. If Jesus didn't know every last detail, if there was some bad things in your life that he was unaware of, then then you could not be certain that he would remain committed to you. If some moral failure on your part were hidden from Jesus' sight, then you, could, then, then you could be concerned that if he found it out, that he would turn his back on you. But that is not the case. Jesus knows you, every false humility, every vain thought, every lazy avoidance of doing what is right, every opportunity to forgive that went unfulfilled. There's nothing hidden. He knows it. He knows it all. And he loves us still. How is this possible? Because Jesus' shepherding is of the laying down of one's life type of shepherding. Jesus substituted his life for yours on the cross. All the bad that you've ever done and all that you will ever do, he's atoned for it. He's happy to have atoned for it. He laid down his life so that he could care for you as his good shepherd as he's drawn you into his fold. question is, do you understand that? I like how the 19th century British theologian B.F. Westcott put it in one of his lectures. Listen, here's what he said. He says, But as it is, nothing in his flock is hidden from him. Their weaknesses, their failures, their temptations, their sins. The good which they have neglected when it was within reach. The evil which they have pursued when it lay afar. All is open before his eyes. He knows them and he loves them still. Isn't that a terrific thought to ponder? Jesus knows every last detail about every one of his sheep and his flock and he loves them still. This is the, this is the good Savior's commitment to us, his flock. And my friends, this is how we must see the church, too, and how we must commit to her. You know, one of the great things I'm enjoying about our grace group discipleship groups, we're in our second year now in our grace groups, and and this truth is being pressed into us, right? We're becoming more and more open and honest with each other and more patient and, and supportive, are we not? See, the more you mature as a sheep 
in the flock, the more you start looking at other sheep like the good shepherd looks at them with love and with patience and with tenderness. When someone in the flock kicks you or bites you, so to speak, you love them with a Christ-like lay-down-your-life type of love. Can you see how important this is? My friends, will you commit to live this way here at Grace Church? So we looked at the care and the commitment of our good shepherd. Now for the calling. I was, I got a great Bible app. that lets me look up all kinds of different words and see them and see it on a computer screen. And, and uh, this past week I realized that there's just very few times when Jesus himself said that he must do something. Early in his ministry he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And then at the very end of his life, when Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. The times in which Jesus says he must do something are mostly limited to his calling to spread the gospel of the good news of the kingdom. Or his understanding that he must go to the cross and die and rise again. Well, guess what? These are both the focus of verses 16 through 18. We see there Jesus' calling and our calling too. First, there's this calling to gather sheep into the flock. Look at verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Who are the sheep that are not of his full? Well, at the time when Jesus was speaking these words, there was was like 11 true disciples and perhaps maybe 200 faithful followers. And at that time, they were all Jewish, right? But after Jesus' death and resurrection, he gives this great commission. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. My friends, the church, the, the flock of Christ, is to be made up of sheep from every nation, one flock, one shepherd. This was Jesus' calling while he walked on this earth. And this is our calling as his flock, as he shepherds us from heaven. What is our role? Our role is to bring the words of Christ to everyone. Teach them what I said. Does this mean that everyone we share the gospel with will will hear and listen to Jesus' voice? No. We saw in verses 19 through 21 that in Jesus' day, they thought he was possessed by a demon. They thought he was insane. Remember reading that? How many of you here, after telling someone about Jesus, telling them of the, of the gospel, how many people looked at you like you had a demon or you were possessed, right? I've had it happen a lot. But there will be those who listen in here, like we saw in our passage. They will start to reason out the gospel. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? I don't think so. Grace Church, we have a calling to bring the gospel of Jesus to the east end of Long Island 
and all throughout Long Island. Remember the vision of Grace Presbyterian Church to see Long Island awakened to the glory of Jesus Christ. That's why we're planting a church in Stony Brook and hope to plant other churches in the years to come. And my friends, our job is not to try to figure out who's going to listen to us. Our job is just to proclaim the simple gospel message to everyone we can. And then we let Jesus speak to them through those words. And we let Jesus do the calling. My friends, Jesus says those who belong to him will hear his voice and follow him. Do you believe that? Jesus says, I must bring them also. Christian, there's an urgency in our Lord's words. And so it must be urgent to us too. That's the first part of our calling in the text. A calling to bring more into the flock. Now, the challenge is, all right, we bring more sheep into the flock. How on earth can we be one? It's really hard. See, we sheep are messy creatures. We don't get along very well with others, do we? We tend to fight, hold grudges. We tend to get upset easily by other sheep. How is it that messy, sinful sheep can lovingly coexist in one flock? It has to do with our second calling in the text. The calling to respond to the love of God by centering our lives on the cross and the empty tomb. In other words, centering our lives on the gospel. Listen, when the love of God captivates you, you will willingly lay down your life for others in the church. You will sacrificially, like your good shepherd, live out this calling. Jesus wants us to know that's how he lived. That's what he says in verse 17 and 18. For this reason, the Father loves me. The Father loves Jesus. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. He wants to make sure he's doing it of his own free will. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge, this calling, I have received from my Father. Jesus says his Heavenly Father gave him a charge, this calling. And what was it? To lay down his life. And to lift it back up again. Now, was this calling coerced? Uh, was Jesus forced against his will? No, he freely laid down his life. And what was it that freed him, you think? Divine love. Jesus lived every day of his physical life on earth with the knowledge that his heavenly father was deeply pleased with him. The father loves me, says Jesus. And his father's love compelled him to fulfill his calling. Guess what? So to us. Paul describes this love of Christ and how it now operates in our lives. To, we're set free, but we're, we're, we're compelled by his love. 2 Corinthians 5, he writes, For the love of Christ controls us, compels us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might not, may, may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, it's the free grace and the love of God at work in your life that, that empowers you, empowers us to live out this sacrificial calling. Until then, my friends, I'm afraid we live within the church like hired hands. Do we not? I'll volunteer to teach Sunday school so long as I don't have to spend too much time preparing. I'll volunteer with the youth group so long as nobody in it ticks me off. 
And I get reimbursed for cash, for my gas, for driving these kids around. I'll volunteer to help set up on Sunday, so long as I get proper recognition for my work. Let me ask you, is your commitment to the flock of Christ, the church, like that of a hired hand, always evaluating risk and reward and feelings? Or is it of the laying down of life variety? Grace Church, we must get this figured out. Why? Because it's impossible for us to be one flock that Jesus calls us to be when we live like hired hands do. Hired hands have no ownership interest in the flock. So when we see wolves attack, they flee. When being a part of the flock gets messy, they just run away. But my friends, we've listened to the voice of the Good Shepherd and we're reminded of his willing, sacrificial love towards sinful sheep like us. And when we meditate on that, then this love that we have from Jesus fills us and transforms us into people who live out the same sacrificial love towards others. Jesus had a charge, a calling from his Father in heaven to live on earth, delighting in God's love with the cross and the empty tomb at its very center. And so to us. So, we've seen this morning it uh, sheep are messy. We don't get along all that well. We have a good shepherd to lay down his life for the sheep. You know, it takes a certain God-given humility, does it not, to see yourself as a sheep? Oh, we see how others in the flock are silly, sinful sheep, but... Everything changes when we understand that we, too, are silly, sinful sheep. One stanza from the hymn we regularly sing, Come, thou fount of every blessing, conveys this well. O to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take it, seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Fellow sheep at Grace Presbyterian Church, let us be constrained. Let us be controlled by the love of God towards us. Let us in humility sense our sheepish wanderings from our shepherd. It's not just others, it's us too. Fellow sheep, let us delight in how our good shepherd cares for the flock, the entire flock. Let us rejoice that our good shepherd is committed to his flock. He knows all the sin and shame in his people. He laid down his life so that we may be forever washed clean. And he has called us to this same laying down of life, variety of love towards one another. And so as we live out our calling on the East End to be the flock of Christ, let us commit to one another, no matter how we may sin against one another. And let us together hear the voice of the Good Shepherd as he declares how much he delights in Grace Church. Do you understand that? Jesus loves Grace Presbyterian Church. He loves us. And let us hear him encourage us to be led in our vision to see Long Island awakened to the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, it's, it's not fun to think of yourself as a sheep. But it gets better when we see what a great shepherd we have. And it becomes the best when we understand fully his commitment and his care and his calling. Help us to rest in this truth. May the truth of Jesus being the good shepherd, may may all of that beautiful imagery be drawn on the walls of our hearts so that we come alive in who we are now in Christ Jesus. Christ has died and is now alive and so too are we. We thank you, Lord, for doing that for us. Amen.